Good morning. Leviticus 2, 1 through 3, and 11 through 16. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of firstfruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salts of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of firstfruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your firstfruits fresh ears, roasted with fire, crushed new grain, and you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. The word of the Lord. Well, I have a question for you this morning. Uh, how would you define joy? It's kind of elusive. Um, you know, joy is different from happiness. Happiness uh, is a, a general sense of well-being and contentment. But a lot of times happiness is, is wrapped up in our circumstances. If, if things are going well in life, you're happy. But joy is deeper than that. Joy is something that you can experience even when your life is going horribly. You know, happiness makes you giggle, but joy makes you weep. But it's the kind of weeping that you experience because you're connected to something um, deep and lasting and meaningful and beautiful. And as I say that, you're all thinking, yes, I want that. I don't know exactly what that means, but the spell of it has been on me all of my life. We all long for joy but we have a problem, and we need to talk about that problem because it's one of the biggest obstacles to experiencing the real deep, lasting joy that we all long for. What is that problem? Money? Greed? And as soon as I say that, I, I'm sure some of us, maybe all of us, were squirming a little bit in our hearts because we don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about it. I'm a personality that, you know, I'm a, a peacemaker personality. Um, I'm wired to avoid conflict. And especially as a pastor, I'm hyper aware that many of you have probably been connected to churches that were constantly pressuring people and making them feel guilty in order to give more money. So you don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about it. But you realize the fact that we don't want to talk about it means we probably really, really need to talk about it. It's kind of like getting a root canal. Nobody wants to get a root canal. But the reason you get a root canal is because deep down in your, truth, in your tooth, the nerve is rotting. And unless you drill down deep and clean out the rot, um, the pain gets worse, 
worse, the tooth gets worse, and it just completely incapacitates your whole life. Talking about money is kind of like getting a spiritual root canal. So, um, by the way, Jesus was talking about this constantly. Um, Jesus was always talking about money and greed and materialism because, because of the power that money and materialism and greed have to rot our souls, to rot our hearts. So he was constantly talking about these things. And so um, as we talk about it, one of the reasons we need to talk about this is because unless we're willing to squirm through the pain of drilling down deep and cleaning out the rot in our hearts, then we'll never be able to find the true, deep, lasting joy that's on the other side of the pain. Would you like to find the joy? We're in a series on the book of Leviticus, and Leviticus is um, perhaps most famous for being uh, a rule book. It's full of laws and regulations and rules and commandments. But at its heart, Leviticus is really a book about transformation. God wants to transform you. He wants to transform the world. Leviticus is all about how that transformation process happens. And it begins with a series of five offerings or sacrifices, each of which show us something crucial about the transformation process. So this morning, we're looking at the second of these five offerings. And um, the Hebrew word for this offering is minha. Can we say that? Minha. That is translated in our bulletin as grain offering, but the word minha basically means a gift or a tribute. A tribute is a gift that you bring to a king. So what is this gift, this minha, that we bring to God? And how does this gift transform the spiritual rot of materialism in our hearts into joy? Well, let's find out by seeing three things this morning. We're going to find out why God wants this gift. We're going to find out what he actually wants from us, and lastly, how we can do it, okay? Why God wants this gift, what he wants, and how we can actually do it, okay? First, why God wants this gift. When we look at this passage and you see the ingredients in this offering— You've got flour, you've got frankincense, uh, which was a really expensive aromatic spice. You've got uh, olive oil. We have to understand all of these ingredients, these were basically, it was money to the Israelites. It was like money to them. God is saying, I want you to bring this to me as a gift. But in order to understand, we have to understand the symbolism of these ingredients because each one of them means something. And when we understand what these different things mean, then we can begin to understand what God is doing with this offering. So if you look in verse 11, in the middle paragraph, it says, No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. Now, why no leaven or honey? Um, all of the commentators, all of the scholars, as I was studying this week, they all said, well, we're not sure, but the most probable reason is that both of these things were forms of, of yeast. Leaven, obviously, is yeast. But um, the honey, it wasn't just honey that came from bees. It was also the sweet juice that would have come out of fruits. So both of these things, the leaven and the honey, would have been um, things that would have fermented quickly. So here's the symbolism. Fermentation is a process of chemical breakdown. 
When something is fermenting, it's, it's corrupting, it's rotting. This is showing us that God cares about our hearts. That when God um, asks us to bring this offering, what he's saying is, I-, I want you to bring this offering with a heart that is free of corruption. God is saying, watch out for greed. Watch out for money because it has the power to rot our hearts. The reason God asks for this offering is because he is intensely concerned about the state of your heart. And if you want to know the state of your heart, look at what you do with your money. So for instance, some people use money to buy status symbols, things like, you know, the clothes, the cars, the, the house, the yacht. Does anybody here have a yacht? I don't know. The possessions, you know, the stuff. They, they want to buy things that make them look good, make them feel important in the eyes of the people around them. It's because their real joy is status and approval. So if you want to know what's really important to them, follow the money and, and it will show you where their joy really is. Other people, um, they use money to get pleasure. So things like food, or partying, or travel, or um, having lots of fun experiences, or pleasurable experiences. For them, their real joy is comfort and pleasure. Or for other people, you know, other people might work really hard to get a lot of money, but they never spend any of it. They sock it all away in the bank. Why? Because their real joy is security and approval. Do you see how this works? Money shows us the state of our heart. And if you want to know what the state of your heart is, look at what you do with your money. Um, By the way, um, even if you're being really generous and really um, uh, giving a lot of money away, this too, we have to drill down into the deepest motivations of our heart. Um, One of the main narratives in our culture nowadays is our culture puts a lot of emphasis on, on being compassionate and generous. Altruism is a big deal in our culture. Um, But why? Why be a good person? Why be compassionate? Why be generous? Why be altruistic? I was uh, listening to, or watching rather, a video a couple of years ago of George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars. And in this video, he was explaining the philosophy um, behind Star Wars. And here's what he said. He said, the secret ultimately which is at the bottom line in Star Wars and the other movies is there are two kinds of people in the world. Compassionate people and selfish people. Selfish people live on the dark side. The compassionate people live on the light side. If you go to the side of the light, you will be happy because compassion, helping other people, not thinking about yourself, thinking about others, that gives you a joy that you can't get any other way. Being selfish, following your pleasures, always entertaining yourself with pleasure and buying things and doing stuff, you're always going to be unhappy. Now, you know, George Lucas isn't here this morning, so we can't dialogue with him and ask questions about what he really means. And I want to be as faithful and fair to what I think he's really saying here. But this is one of the most um, powerful and common narratives we hear in our culture. Be a good person. Why? Because it will make you happy. Because it will give you joy. Do you see? That is still a selfish, self-centered motive. You're not doing it for others. You're not doing it for God. You're doing it for you. 
The reason God cares so much about what we give is because he cares about the state of our hearts. He wants to train our hearts in generosity because he cares about the spiritual rot that's going on in the midst of our hearts. And so what we do with our money shows what's going on in our hearts. It shows uh, what our real joy really is. And this gift, this minha, really is a way, um, this is what's so amazing about this gift. It's not a way of getting joy. It's the complete opposite of what we do in our culture. This gift is not a way of getting joy. It's a way of expressing joy. Because think about who these Israelites are and, and what's going on in their lives right about this time. Just a year before this, they were in slavery. They were in bondage. They had no status. They had no security. They had no pleasure. They had no freedom. They had nothing. And yet, here they are. God has rescued them. God has set them free. God has now poured out his love and his blessing and his favor in, in, in our life. And so now what God is saying is, if you find yourself overwhelmed with joy and gratitude, um, with all the blessings that I've poured out on you, and you want to find some way to express that, well, then here's what you do. In fact, it's especially amazing when you realize that this gift, this minha, was completely voluntary. In fact, the first three offerings in the book of Leviticus, all three of them are they're voluntary offerings. God never commanded these offerings to be brought at any specific time or place or occasion. It was completely voluntary, which is really amazing when you think about it, because this is Leviticus. And as I just mentioned a bit ago, if Leviticus is known for anything, it's being for, known for being a rule book. And yet here we are, the most famous rule book in the Bible... <laughs> begins not with a list of rules you have to keep in order to get God's love, but with ways of expressing the joy and the gratitude that you feel because you've already received God's love. Friends, that's the gospel. Traditional religion is always telling you, if, if you want God to love you, here's what you have to do. You have to obey the rules. You have to live a good life. Do this, and God will love you. The gospel is the exact opposite of that. And, and, the, and it shows up on every page of the Bible, including the most famous rule book in the Bible. The gospel doesn't say, live this way and God will love you. The gospel says, God has already loved you through Jesus Christ. And now the way you live, it's not a way of getting joy, it's a way of expressing joy. The reason God wants this gift is because he cares intensely about your heart. And this gift is not a way of getting joy, it's a way of expressing joy. And that's the first thing we see here. But secondly, we don't just see why God wants this gift. Um, let's take a look at what God actually wants from us, okay? Um, what is God asking for specifically? If you uh, look at the last paragraph, verse 14 says, if you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears roasted with fire crushed new grain. Now, God is saying, give me your first fruits. So what is that? It was a farming culture. First fruits means the first portion of the crops that would come up out of the ground during a harvest. It was the very first thing that came out of the ground. God is saying, if you want a way to express your joy and gratitude, if you want to bring a gift to me, bring your first fruits. Bring the very first that you get. Okay? But secondly, God is also asking for, if you look at the beginning of the passage, uh, when anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, 
fine flour. Now, here's what's going on with this. I found this very interesting as I was studying. The, the Israelites had different kinds of flour. So one kind was very coarse. It was very rough, and it came from the whole kernel of wheat. But there was another kind of flour that only came from the inside of the kernel, which was better quality stuff. And then what they would do is they would press it and crush it and grind it over and over and over again until it became really super fine like silk. It was really labor-intensive and therefore extremely expensive. God is, that's the kind of flour that God is asking for here. It was the very best. You put both of these things together, the first fruits and the fine flour, what do you have? God is asking for the first and the best. God is saying, if you, want an, if you feel grateful and joyful over what I've done for you and you want a way to express that, bring me your first, bring me your best. That's what he's saying. Now, in ancient Israel, here's what this looked like. Um, you've got this grain offering that we're talking about this morning that was completely a voluntary offering. But generosity in ancient Israel also looked like they had the tithe. The tithe was 10% of your income, and, um, and, and everybody was expected to bring that. It wasn't voluntary. Everyone was expected to tithe 10% of their income. Now, the tithe went to support the ministry of the tent and later on the temple in Jerusalem. So the, the, the ministry of the tent, that would have been things like worship and sacrifices and supporting the priest. It was the spiritual nurture of the people. But the tithe also was supposed to be used to care for the poor throughout the land. So the tithe, the, the ministry of the temple, really was caring for both the spiritual and the material needs of the people. Now, what does that look like in our time today? When you read the New Testament, when you read what Jesus and Paul and the earliest Christians all said about what practicing generosity is supposed to look like in the church, one of the first things you find out is that there's no place in the New Testament where it ever actually gives us a specific number or a specific percentage. Some of you are thinking, awesome. <laughs> However, what you do find is a level of giving a level of radical generosity in the New Testament that goes way beyond a mere 10%. It's like 10% is a good start. So some of you are thinking, ah, oh, snap. <laughs> but God cares about your heart. And that's the reason he never gives a number or a percentage in the New Testament, because to ask the question, well, what's the number? What am I supposed to give? What, tell me the number. A lot of times that's just a, 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 you know, a way of asking, what's the bare minimum that I can get away with? You see, the spiritual rot, it's, just, it's still fermenting in our hearts. That's why Jesus, he never said, um, watch out for lying. He never said, watch out for murder. He was always saying, watch out for money. Watch out for greed. He never said that about lying or murder or any other sin. Why? Because you know when you're doing those things. You don't have to be a particularly insightful or perspicacious person to realize when you're committing lying or when you're murdering, but, but, but materialism and greed and money, those things have a way of lulling us to sleep and making us blind to their presence in our lives. We don't see those things because we don't want to see them. But practicing generosity in the Bible, biblical generosity, it's a spiritual discipline. 
It's a spiritual discipline every bit as much as prayer or reading and studying your Bible. We don't neglect those disciplines. We think those are important for my spiritual health. Practicing generosity is a spiritual discipline that is every bit as much important as any other spiritual discipline. God cares about your heart. And so practicing generosity is a way of training our hearts to relocate our joy back on God. That's what's going on. So what does that look like in the church today? Again, you read the New Testament, there really is no formula, there's no specifics, there's no numbers. But let me offer you a few guidelines. Um, First, spread your giving around. Give not only to the church, but also to other ministries and charities and organizations. As I mentioned, the, the temple ministry was intended to care for both the spiritual and the material needs of the whole community. There is no one church or charity or organization today that does all of that for the whole community. Now, as Central West End Church has grown, we've been able to devote more and more money to the common good of the community around us. We want to do a lot more. But, but even this church will never be able to care for all of the spiritual needs and all of the material needs of the whole community, so we should spread our giving around. That's the first thing. Secondly, um, if you're not giving anything right now, or if you're giving very little, um, and or your giving is sporadic, it's, it's random, it's a little haphazard, then work on becoming more intentional, both in the level and the amount that you give, but also with in the regularity and the frequency with which you give. It's a spiritual discipline. So for instance, Central West End Church is, is like most churches in, um, at least in America, a very small number of people do most of the giving in the church. So I understand, you know, um, even 10% can feel overwhelming. If you're, if you're not giving anything, if you're giving very little, it can feel overwhelming even to think about that. But why not start with maybe you give 2% to the local church and 2% to some charity, and then you build your way up from there. You start working your way up. It's a spiritual discipline. And listen, I don't care if you give to this church. God has blessed this church And he's continuing to bless it. And I trust God is going to continue to bless this church. I don't care if you give to Central West End Church. I do care if you're giving somewhere. Because God cares about your heart. What you do with money shows the state of your heart. And God cares intensely about the state of your heart. Okay? So first, spread your giving around. Second, um, increase your giving in intentionality and in levels and in frequency to spiritual discipline. Approach it like that. But thirdly, um, understand generosity. Practicing a generous lifestyle, finances are just one small part of that. Generosity is a whole way of living. So in addition to financial generosity, there are lots of other ways of living a generous life. One of them is with your thoughts. Are you generous in the thoughts that you think about other people, or do you have a tendency to more instinctively assume the worst about people? Or our words, generous words. um, are, Are we generous in using words in people's lives that encourage them and build them up? Generosity also means things like time, your time. Like maybe God is calling a couple of you to volunteer your time this Tuesday to help the school for one hour. Generosity also means things like your resources, your influence. It also means your attention. Are we generous with our attention? When you're talking to somebody, are you giving them your full attention, or, or, or do we scan the room looking to see if there's somebody more interesting to talk to? Or when we're sitting down to a meal, 
Are we giving people our full attention? By the way, all of these things I just mentioned are things I personally struggle with. Practicing a generous life is really difficult. That's why God says, I care about your heart. I want you to do it with joy. It's not a way of getting joy. It's a way of expressing joy. But if we're honest with ourselves, boy, our hearts are wrapped up in fear and anxiety about money. And, and it's really hard to do this with joy. That's why there's oil on the sacrifice, by the way. You know what oil? In, in the Bible, oil means a couple of things. Um, oil, anointing something with oil, is a way of setting it apart for a special purpose. And you definitely see that going on in this passage. But oil in the Bible is also... Um, it's a sign of joy. So over and over in the Bible, it's always talking about the oil of gladness. Oil is a sign of joy. Our giving, biblical generosity, should be a way not of getting joy, but a way of expressing joy. But that leads to our last point. We've seen why God wants it, because he cares about our hearts. We've seen what he wants. He wants your first and your best without worrying about the number, without worrying about the percentage. He wants your first and best. But lastly, how are we going to do this? How are we going to actually live like this? Because here's the reality. Fear and anxiety about money is just a natural part of our life, and it's probably never going to go away, at least completely. So how are we going to actually at least begin dissolving some of that fear and anxiety around money? How are we going to actually begin to practice not just a generous lifestyle, but a generous life that springs from joy? It's a way of expressing joy. The answer is remember. What do I mean? If you look at, um, I think it's verse 2. When you brought the offering to the priest, it says, He shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as as its memorial portion on the altar. That word memorial portion, it, it comes from the Hebrew word to remember. In other words, this memorial portion is a way of remembering that this is a God who remembers. It's a way of remembering that this is a God who remembers. And again, this would have been huge for the Israelites because they were just rescued out of slavery. And the the beginning of that rescue process, uh, you read about it in Exodus chapter 2, which says, and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered. The memorial portion is a way of remembering that this is a God who remembers. And so, The amazing thing about this offering, when you look at these ingredients is, here you've got this fine flour. You've got this costly oil. You've got this incredibly expensive frankincense. But all of these things, yes, okay, some of those things were going to support the priests and support the ministry of the temple, but but the rest of it was just getting burned up. It wasn't caring for the poor. It wasn't feeding the hungry. It didn't appear to be serving any good. And it would be very tempting to ask the question, why this waste? What purpose is this serving? The answer is, nothing done for love of God is ever a waste. Nothing done for love of God is ever a waste. You see a perfect picture of this, by the way. Thousands of years later, Jesus sat down one evening about a week before he was crucified to have a meal with friends. There was a woman there named Mary, and we're told that she had a, a flask Um, full of of very expensive ointment. It was worth about a year's salary. 
very expensive. And she, she broke the flask open, and she poured it out all on Jesus. She anointed Jesus with the flask. In fact, the Gospel of John tells us that the whole house was filled with the fragrance of this ointment. And, and, and the people that were sitting there, they saw what she did, and they said, why this waste? We should have sold this and, and given it to the poor. But Jesus says, <coughs> leave her alone. She has done something beautiful for me. You always have the poor with you, and, and you can do good for them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And wherever the gospel is preached, what she has done will be told as, as a memory of her. What she did was a way of remembering that this is a God who remembers. So that when the people sitting there in the room started complaining, why this waste? What does Jesus say? Well, notice what he didn't say. Jesus didn't say, well, don't worry about the poor. He said, you can do good for the poor anytime you want. I mean, if you think carefully about what he's saying, you're realizing Jesus is saying you should be radically generous, not just once a year, but, but all the time. We should always be living generously with our money. But Jesus isn't talking about the specifics of our giving. He's talking about the heart of our giving. He's saying that, you know, we're like the people in the room if we're really being honest with ourselves. We're, I don't know about you, but we're all, I'm always calculating. We, we look at this question of following Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And the first question we ask is, what's this going to cost me? And then if we get an acceptable answer to that question, then we'll ask the question, well, am I willing to have Jesus as Lord of my life? And Jesus is saying, you've got those two questions backwards. The first question is not, what's this going to cost me? The real question is, who's your real Lord? What is your real flask? Because if you think about it, what, think about what Mary did. What was this flask? She pours this thing out on Jesus. What, what does this flask represent? If, if her real joy had been financial security, then, then this flask was something, she would have kept it for herself. Or if her real joy had been, you know, romance or marriage or family, then she would have kept that flask as a dowry. But she pours it out on Jesus. She breaks it open and pours it all out on Jesus because that flask is no longer a way of getting joy. It's a way of expressing joy, a new joy that she's found. It's Jesus. So Jesus is asking us, what is your real Lord? What is your real joy? What is your flask? Because whatever it is, that's your real joy. And whatever it is, it's going to determine the way you live the rest of your life. So that when these people in the house got all indignant and said to Jesus, why this waste? Jesus turns around and says to them, it's not a waste. Nothing done for love of God is ever a waste. She has done something beautiful for me. In fact, what she has done has given us a picture of the gospel when it really finally gets to work in someone's life. Because you know Jesus had a flask or two? He ruled on the throne of heaven from all eternity. We long for things like power and security and status. Jesus had all of those things infinitely, eternally. From all eternity, he had all power, all status, all authority, all security. He had, he had it all. And yet Jesus didn't feel like he had to stay where he was and keep what he had. No, he abandoned his throne, came to earth and lived a life of poverty, 
rejection, humiliation, scorn, and finally he died a criminal's death on the cross. You know, Jesus Christ, really, he was like that fine flower that just gets crushed and crushed and crushed over and over again. Jesus was crushed on the cross because Jesus Christ is the ultimate flask. He had the ultimate flask. All power, all status, all security, and yet on the cross, Jesus broke his flask and poured it out on the cross. Because for all the power and status and security that Jesus Christ had, there was one thing he did not have. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame. For the joy that was set before him, what is that joy? It's you. You are his flask. You are his joy. And so all the people standing around when Jesus was crucified, they would have looked at Jesus hanging on the cross, and they could have said, why this waste? All the time missing the staggering, soul-defining reality that, that they were witnessing the most beautiful, most meaningful thing that had ever happened in the history of the world. When you see Jesus making you his flask, breaking his flask for you, when you see that Jesus did not consider dying for you to be a waste, that begins to transform you and the way you look at all the flasks in your life. What is your flask? What is your joy? Are you willing to give it to Jesus? Are you willing to, to give him control over those things? The more you see Jesus breaking his flask for you, making you his joy, the more you're able to break your flask for him because you found your joy in him. Your flask will no longer be a way of getting joy. It will be a way of expressing the joy you've already found in Jesus. And that is never a waste. Let's pray.